Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome back to the Agent of Wealth. This is your host, Mark Boudis. On today's show, we brought on a special guest, Scott Melby. Scott is a 36-year veteran of nuclear energy industry, having held leadership positions in major uranium mining companies, as well as industry-wide organizations. He serves as an executive vice president of Uranium Energy Corp. and the chief executive officer of Uranium Royalty Corp. Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you, Mark. It's great to be on your show today. So we've had a couple of recent episodes on investing in alternative assets, and they've had a little bit of a real estate flavor to them. Our latest one was on investing in raw land. So I'm excited to talk about uranium today, um, both as an alternative asset and also what's going on just in general in that in that industry. So I'm looking forward to it. So let's get started. Can you take us through what uranium is, what it's used for, and the fundamentals of the market? Yeah, so uranium is an energy commodity. Uh, it is the fuel source for nuclear energy, which uh, in the United States is about 20% of our electricity. About 55% of our carbon-free electricity, and that's where um, we're really seeing uh, exciting developments and growth in our industry is uh, with this whole mega trend towards uh, decarbonization of, of our uh, energy sector and our economy. Uh, the aspects of nuclear power is a 24/7 baseload producer of uh, clean, carbon-free energy really has. Uh, folks taking a, a new look at, at nuclear, and we're seeing that translate into new plants being built around the world, uh, not just uh, abroad, but also in the United States. There's uh, very positive developments, but it's really an imperative. I mean, if we're going to uh, be able to meet electricity demands in the coming years, uh, and including electric vehicles and uh, computerization of everything in our, our society, we're going to need more electricity, not less, and it's got to be clean uh, as opposed to uh, our older forms of energy. So it's a way to play on that renewable energy um, trend that we're seeing now. How does how does one get uranium? How how did to these you know? So let's say a new plant is built. Where does the uranium come from? Yeah, so uranium is a mined mineral. Um, in the United States, we have probably close to a billion pounds of known and likely reserves of uranium in the Western United States. Uh, but this uranium is mined into uh, what's called yellow cake or uranium concentrates, converted into a gas spun in a centrifuge to increase its U-235 content, which causes uh, fission, which basically creates heat in a, in a fuel element that creates steam in a power plant. And so it's, it's mined here in the U.S. I imagine other places in the world, they have the ability to mine as well. Yeah, the leaders, uh, the leaders in, in uranium production these days are Canada, Kazakhstan, countries in Africa, Namibia, Niger, um, Australia. The United States led the world in uranium production in the 1980s um, and is in the, in the midst of revitalizing that industry with kind of more innovative, environmentally friendly, and, and lower cost uh, technologies called in situ recovery that are allowing the U.S. to try to regain its, its, uh, its position globally and, and compete with the Kazakhs and the, and the Canadians. How does uranium, and even take it a step further, the nuclear energy fall? in the scale of 
what's considered clean clean energy. Yeah. So, um, you know, those of us in the industry have known this uh, our entire careers, but it was really getting a broader realization amongst the investment community, political uh, leaders, policymakers, even an investment community to look at nuclear as green. And if you look at the track record of nuclear energy, it is as clean in terms of carbon free energy and pollution free energy as wind and solar. It's as safe as wind and solar, given uh billions of, of, of kilowatts generated since the 1950s from nuclear energy. But where it differs from wind and solar is that it, nuclear power runs 95% of the time, not 25 to 35% of the time, which is the case with renewables. So we're not saying renewables are bad. Renewables definitely have a, an important place in the mix. But I think nuclear power actually helps renewables work better by having a reliable carbon-free backup that runs not only when the sun is you know, not shining and the wind is not blowing or at night, it runs 24-7 through weather conditions like hurricanes, droughts, uh, you name it. So uh, we're an important part of the mix. Uh, as I said, it's the largest source of carbon-free energy in the United States today, um, and that, that surprises folks. And that's why we're beginning to see uh, political uh, acceptance for nuclear energy here in the United States. Um, nuclear has always been supported by the right and opposed by the left. But today you have folks, senators as diverse as Cory Booker from your state, um, uh, supporting nuclear power alongside of of senators on the right, like uh, John Barrasso out of Wyoming. So I think we're beginning to make a headway there that if we are going to make a meaningful dent in carbon emissions, we need a significant contribution from nuclear power, not only the existing plants like you have in in New Jersey and, and elsewhere, but uh, growing with small modular reactors and these advanced reactors that folks like Bill Gates are developing and deploying. So uh, we're really in a a growth phase for nuclear energy, and it's going to need a lot of uranium. And so that's where the companies that I work with are are in that role of developing new mines that are going to produce uranium that provide the fuel for nuclear power plants going forward. I know you mentioned that 20% of the, the power in the, in the U.S. is generated from nuclear. Is that is it mostly used um, industrial, commercial? And do you ever see it coming to the point where maybe our houses or our cars are going to be powered by nuclear power? Well, they, they already are. Uh, with essentially uh, 20% of our electricity grid in the United States is powered by nuclear energy. In New Jersey, I don't have the exact figure, but it would be higher for you. Uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Illinois, Florida, states that uh, rely heavily on nuclear power. It's, it's a, a much higher percentage. It's already providing, you know, turning the lights on in one in five homes in the United States. You know, another thing that we're seeing are other uses for nuclear energy uh, in the states of uh, Ohio and Pennsylvania. We're now seeing data centers and crypto mining facilities being cited next to nuclear power plants because of the green energy stamp that they can get on the electricity that they're using to either store data or produce bitcoins. We're seeing nuclear power being used to generate hydrogen, which can be used as a fuel in trucks, buses, and cars going forward. Uh, We're seeing nuclear power uh, as an excellent source of energy in very dry regions to desalinate water and provide fresh drinking water. It's not just electricity. There's other uh, uses that nuclear power is, is fitting uh, uh, very important roles right now. 
And I think a lot of the stereotype that's out there is the risk of a leak, like a Fukushima or Chernobyl or something like that. Is that overblown? Is Has there been improvements in the industry? Yeah, well, I think, you know, there's always improvements that can be made. And I think with each one of those incidents, the industry has learned lessons and improved. But, you know, as we stand today, the new reactors that are the SMRs and, and, and being developed, the small modular reactors, they're touted as being even safer than, than the current fleet. Well, the current fleet of reactors that we have is the safest form of energy that we have. If you measure that by all the kilowatts generated since the 1950s, measured by injuries, fatalities, it's as safe as wind and solar. And I think that's a major misperception that we've probably done a, a poor job communicating and uh, you know, Three Mile Island and uh, Fukushima, there were no radiation injuries or deaths. Uh, Chernobyl was a different situation, but I think that's more an indictment of a faulty technology we would never deploy in the U.S. And it said a lot about Soviet secrecy and uh, lack of transparency in government. So uh, I think we uh, quite proudly can say we are as safe and clean as wind and solar, and that's based on billions of kilowatts generated uh, since the 1950s. All right, let's transition over to the investing in uranium. And so what are the different options on how someone can invest in, in uranium if they wanted to? You know, one of the best ways to invest in the nuclear energy story is through the fuel cycle, and that's investing in uranium. And you can do that a number of ways. You can invest in mining companies that produce uranium that goes into the fuel cycle. You could invest in ETFs that basically hold and warehouse uranium on behalf of investors and then you just speculate on the commodity price movements. There's obviously ETFs that bundle uh, a number of, of uranium and nuclear equities into, uh, into an ETF product, or you can invest through royalties. And, and the company that I'm the CEO of, Uranium Royalty Corp., um, has interests in 16 different mines and developments around the world that allow investors to benefit when those mines go into production. They benefit through the royalties that we receive into the company. So, there's a number of different ways. One of the attractive features of uranium is unlike gold or copper, where there's uh, hundreds of ways to invest in, in those commodities, the uranium space is quite concentrated. So when you see investment capital flowing into the uranium sector, it's flowing through a relatively small number of, of doors. And that creates uh, a lot of uh, trading liquidity in, in the, the better uranium names like Uranium Energy Corp, Uranium Royalty Corp you know, are, are names that, that I would encourage investors to, to look into. Uh, really pure plays in the uranium story. We're producing globally today 60 million pounds of uranium, less than the 191 million pounds that we're consuming annually. And we've been in this situation for four to five years. So if you just, if you were an economist and you looked at uranium no differently than you would look at copper or uh, gold or cotton, you would really be impressed with the uh, mismatch that we have right now. And we've been drawing off of excess inventories, which were admittedly made worse by Fukushima, which impacted demand and supply, uh, which is now 10 years ago. And we've now recovered from that where nuclear generation is back above pre-Fukushima levels. But uranium production is well below where it needs to be to match consumption. So we see incredible pressure on uranium prices as inventories are depleted and the market's rebalancing and utilities come back to the market, start contracting again in, in uh, normal volume. So we have a mega trend towards clean energy, which nuclear fits that narrative. But we also just have nuts and bolts of supply and demand, which 
couldn't look better and perhaps have looked as good now as they ever have been in the Iranian market. Okay, so that, I definitely want to come back to the royalties part of it, but let's first start with mining. Mm-hmm. So take take us through like a mining company, similar to like an oil and gas drilling, where they'll, they'll lease land and mine. Yeah, so we would either lease land from landowners or uh, produce on federal lands. So in South Texas, where uh, Uranium Energy Corp is, is based, it's interesting that we're focused on what's known as in-situ recovery. And your listeners would be very familiar with conventional mining, which is open pit underground mining. This is something very different. And ISR, this type of technology, is now supplying 50% of global production. But it's more a well-field drilling technology where we drill into a sandstone ore body. We circulate sodium bicarbonate, which is very similar to Perrier water. And we oxidize the uranium off the sand and we pump it to the surface as a liquid. So we don't have the drilling, blasting mill tailings, open pits, and, and ground disturbance that we have in other mines, which, you know, listen, we need to mine other minerals. I'm, we're not anti-conventional mining, but this technology that we use in Wyoming and Texas is uh, a mining technology that even environmentalists can love because of the minimal impact on, on the land. So you would say it'd be different than like fracking? It's different than fracking, yeah. Fracking is, is basically disturbing the, the underground structure. Uh, we're just basically reversing the natural process and pumping the uranium out of the ground as, as a solution, uh, same way that the uranium came through millions of years through groundwater, um, again, for, for millions of years and, and caused to go into a reduced state from an oxidized state. Uh, in our case, in uh, Wyoming and Texas, due to the, the hydrocarbons that have caused that uranium to concentrate in a, in a certain place and allow us to have an economic deposit and concentration. What's the time frame from when a uh, mining company starts uh, mining to when they're able to sell and, and realize a, a revenue on it? Yeah, this is one of the advantages. The, the barriers to entry in uranium are quite high. Uh, as you know, I mean, licensing and permitting anything today, even a housing development or a highway or uh, power lines, can take years. And so with uranium, we're very highly regulated. We go through the Nuclear Regulatory Commission or their equivalents in the states in which we operate. And it may take six, seven, eight years to get a mine permitted, licensed, uh, and, and into production. So uh, as investors look for potential companies to align with, I would encourage your listeners to look at companies that have permitted, licensed operations, or are miners that already have facilities that uh, are either in production or they've been in production and can restart quite quickly. Because as the cycles change, um, a number of companies will come into the space They'll be building mines, they'll be ramping up to production, but they may be missing you know, two, three, four, five years of really high uranium prices that you know, the benefits will go to the early, earlier movers. And I think Uranium Energy Corp, uh, the other company that I'm affiliated with, really has an advantage with existing infrastructure, standby operations, and fully permitted deposits. Is it uh, equipment and labor intensive to mine, or is is that not one of the? ISR is not very uh, capital or labor intensive because of the the technology. We you know when we're constructing well fields, we're hiring a number of drilling contractors. A lot of our employees can come from kind of the oil and gas industries because it's a lot of pipes, valves, pumps, and constructing these well fields, which. Uh, are essentially sucking uranium out of out of the ground and concentrating it into uh, sellable yellow cake products. So uh, it is a good thing in some of these areas where oil and gas and coal are being impacted by 
public policy. Um, you know, there are some some of those lost jobs that we can take and employ in our sector. Can you t- talk a little about the correlation of the price of uranium versus mining and how the mining company kind of decides at what price to kick in o- into overdrive versus when to, to pull back a little bit on in their mining? Well, and, and that's another great part of, of the uranium narrative right now is uranium's trading at about $33 a pound in the spot market. Um, it's up considerably from $16, $17 a pound uh, four years ago. But it's still not at the point, I would say, 40 to $50 where the world's best mining operations, you know, are, are able to make a profit, restart mines or continue operations. New mines need north of $50 a pound to get into production. So um, while we're very encouraged that uranium prices have, have steadily increased uh, with all these great fundamental news developments, they're still not at a point where uranium production is, is going to come online quickly. Some of the better, lower-cost mines will be able to come on sooner than others, and that's where the competitive uh, advantages come in. But you have demand now at a very robust level. We expect demand for uranium to increase 26% uh, in this decade from 2020 to 2030, yet uranium production is lagging already coming out of the gate and will not start increasing until prices increase. So all of that bodes towards higher prices and uh, strong performance by the uranium equities. All right. So let's, let's transition a little bit to the royalties story. Can you explain how that works in, in terms of an investor? Yeah. So um, kind of a phenomenon that's only about 10 to 15 years old are the emergence of royalty and streaming companies in the natural resource sector. So this would be in base metals, precious metals, companies like Franco Nevada, silver, wheat and precious metals, sandstorm, royal gold, uh, these are companies that don't actually own the mines. They don't have to go out and lease the properties, maintain large workforces. But what they do invest in are royalty interests in those mining developments producing. So they may provide financing to a miner to, to build their mine and get it into production. And they will take um, a percentage royalty from every pound produced or in a streaming uh, that's a, a financial interest or in a streaming relationship, it could be a percentage of the uranium or gold or, or copper produced. So we're basically taking that concept, bringing it to uranium. We're the only royalty and streaming company in the uranium space today. Um, why it's interesting for investors is sometimes I hear from uh, particularly retail investors that it's very hard not being a mining engineer or a geologist to, to, to decide, well, which company should I invest in? They all look pretty good to me on, in the glossy brochures. So what we do is we're a bit of an ETF where we're uh, actively managed ETF, where we go out, we do the due diligence. We're uh, all veterans, you know, 30 plus year veterans of the uranium industry. We've built licensed permitted mines around the world and operated them. So we go out and we align with the better counterparties to put into the portfolio. Uranium Royalty today has 16 royalty interests in the portfolio, uh, including two of the largest, um, richest uh, ore-grade mines in the world in Saskatchewan, Canada, at Cigar Lake and MacArthur River. So these are the kind of assets that we're out looking to come alongside producers, put them into the royalty portfolio, and then our investors uh, rely on our due diligence, our legwork, and, and benefit from the royalties that, that result from those investments. So the royalty company 
invests in these different 16 different operations and then obviously generate some kind of income. Is that income kicked back to investors as a dividend? Is it is it just kind of reinvested or a combination of both? All of the above. So in a mature royalty company, a company that's been around and established and you know has steady cash flows coming in from those royalties, then the ability to spin off dividends becomes you know a desired step in, in the evolution of a royalty company. Where we're at today is we were only listed publicly a year and a half ago on the Toronto Stock Exchange. We listed on the NASDAQ earlier this year. So we've really only been in the publicly traded realm two years. So we're very much in the growth mode where any capital raised is going to go to a creative acquisition. So you know we're not content to just sit on the 16 royalties we have. We want to be adding and growing year over year. And as we um, start receiving cash uh, and revenues from those royalties in the early years, we'll continue to reinvest those in more royalties. So we're very much in the growth stage as as we've emerged as a a publicly traded company. And so one of the first questions that someone's going to ask are, what are the risks? You know, it's it's a relatively new industry for a lot of investors that they don't have a, a familiarity with. Are the risks similar to, you know, any type of natural resource risk? They are. I mean, uh, mining and resource investing is subject to a number of risks. You have risks that you're going to discover a deposit in the first place. You have risks that you're going to be able to mine it at a cost, which can uh, then meet the the market risks. And you also have political risks and operating in various countries around the world. So, you know, resource investing is very unique that way, but it also provides the risk return that a number of investors really like. I mean, this isn't like investing in uh, a very stable, you know, s- small uh, returns. Natural resource investors could sit on a, a, a gold stock or uranium stock for three or four years that sits flat, but then increases, you know, five, six, seven, ten, ten times uh, when the uh, commodity cycles back. And that's the thing you've got to realize is all resource investments, you need to look to the underlying commodity itself. Is it in demand? Is it in short supply? Are the supply and demand funnels pointing to higher prices going forward? If they are, investing in uranium mining companies or royalty companies is great leverage to that story. Where the risk is um, reduced is in, like an ETF, we have 16 royalties in, in, in our portfolio. We fully expect that some are going to exceed our expectations going forward. Some are going to uh, lag our expectations. But if we've done our homework and we've picked the right counterparties and done our homework, uh, we have more uh, winners than losers in the portfolio and uh, generate the returns that, uh, frankly, the, in base and precious metals, uh, these have been some of the best performing resource stocks, even in many cases better than the straight equities themselves because of these inherent advantages. We can have four or five employees and triple or quadruple the size of our company because we don't have all the big overhead and GNA and and workforce that the mining companies themselves have, but we we do have our financial interests in their success down the road. How, how has the price of uranium been correlated with inflation? Because I know that's a hot topic right now, and people are looking for ways to hedge against inflation. And some people do look at oil, whether it's gold, whether it's things like that. Is Has there been a correlation historically? Yeah, we have a lot of investment in, in uranium as something that is uncorrelated to sort of the broader market. So from an investment perspective, it can be all your stocks may be moving in one direction due to broader markets. Uranium tends to react more to the supply and demand. You know, uh, inflation 
will hit uranium miners as well. And so, you know, if we have a shortfall of production to consumption today and inflation increases that, that just makes the, the potential shortfall uh, in uranium supply going forward that more acute. And I think really uh, adds to the investment thesis. So uh, in, inflation in that respect should be supportive of higher uranium prices and higher uranium equity prices. But it just puts for consumers of, of uranium, like the utilities, you know, they need to be mindful of that. The electric utility companies in the United States and elsewhere have been contracting at lower levels uh, than they have historically. But with nuclear plants continuing to operate at 24-7 and, um, uh, and more plants being built going forward, and we're getting a lot of competition from the Chinese, Russians, and other countries around the world, I think we're uh, going to see a period here where the electric utility companies need to get back and start getting more strategic again and contracting. And that, too, will be a positive catalyst for, for the uranium market. So you mentioned the political aspect of it. How does uranium here compare to, let's say, uranium in Europe or in Asia or in Africa in terms of both usage of it, but also is there like a, is there something similar to like OPEC where there's like a global consortium or group that's associated with it? Yeah, we have an interesting situation in the United States is we're, you know, our 93 nuclear power plants, uh, we're the largest consumer of uranium in the world. Yet today, we produce very little from our mines in the United States because of this uh, very low uh, uranium price, some of it due to just pure supply and demand fundamentals, but also due to kind of a heavy uh, degree of state-owned companies in Russia, Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, which aren't as sensitive to market conditions and have continued to produce uranium. So we've basically uh, come to the realization like we have with uranium. Uh, like other min, uh, critical minerals, you know, rare earth minerals uh, that are used in high-tech uh, industries that, that our supply chain is really at risk here. And we're reliant on supplies from countries like China and Russia to run our power plants. And I know we you know, make fun of Germany for shutting down nuclear power plants and then relying on Russian natural gas uh, and, and putting themselves at geopolitical risk. Well, we're also doing that to some degree. Close to 50% of the uranium that we have coming into the United States today is from Russia and Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan. You know, there has been a great deal of effort under, certainly under the Trump administration, but we're also now beginning to see the Biden administration realize, um, you know, the importance of nuclear energy, and that includes the fuel cycle. So again, an industry that at one time was very partisan, um, we're beginning to see that bipartisan uh, support. And so, for example, right now, the United States is working to establish a strategic uranium reserve, similar to the oil strategic reserve. And in that, we would uh, have the U.S. government buying domestically produced uranium for that reserve. Why is that important? We also, in addition to the um, electricity generating plants across the United States, we also have a fleet of uh, 94 reactors and 80-some 80, 80 aircraft carriers and submarines that run on nuclear power, and they require U.S. origin uranium. So there's not only uh, an energy security need for greater production in the United States, but we also have that national security uh, need with the Naval Propulsion Program. So again, it's, it's early days in the Biden administration. Um, we're definitely seeing the commitment to green energy and nuclear energy. Um, we need to continue to work with them, though, to say, hey, love the mining of the materials that go in not only to nuclear energy, but a lot of these green technologies 
um, electric vehicles, batteries, they require enormous amounts of mined nickel, copper, lithium, other things. And so we've got to kind of get our head around the mining that supports these green energy technologies. The good news, uranium is the most energy dense commodity that we, we, we know in mankind. So the amount of mining required to produce a lot of energy from nuclear power is very minimal compared to even mining of lithium for batteries, for example. So we have a lot of the right attributes in, uh, in this mega trend that, that we're moving into, but it's going to take a lot of uh, investment uh, in the uranium sector. And, and again, I think there's a lot of opportunities present for investors in that regard. You mentioned your company is, I think, the one royalty company. Do you see other companies being incentivized to join and make those same type of royalty deals? You know, it's, it's wonderful to be the early mover. And, you know, we've seen that space grow dramatically in copper, gold, other commodities. So uh, we probably won't be the only game in town uh, forever. But for the time being, we are. And I think what's important, too, is we are uranium people. Our team uh, have been with the, the major uranium producers and uh, bringing our decades of expertise to that. So that's important for investors when they're looking to invest in a royalty company. But it's also important for the counterparties that we essentially provide development capital for their their new development. So uh, we think we're ideally positioned, but it is a growth platform. So that's our number one focus right now. I know you mentioned your company's been around for a couple of years. How, how, just out of curiosity, how long is uranium mining? How long have we been doing that here? Uranium has obviously been around forever, but, you know, really until um, the 1940s and the development of the atomic bomb, which is sort of a difficult part for our nuclear energy industry because we're often identified with nuclear weapons. But really, since the 50s and 60s, you know, nuclear energy has been more the Eisenhower atoms for peace than it has been for, for weapons. We're obviously not making more nuclear weapons today, we're actually dismantling nuclear weapons. And a lot of that material is being blended down to lower power levels that can be used in in power plants. So uh, again, the industry is quite young, really since the 40s and 50s, but really seeing uh, a robust growth now in this sort of decarbonization move in in our economy, not just here, but globally. Okay, so we're just about out of time. Scott, I want to thank you for being on today's show. You gave us a lot of great information about the uranium industry and different ways to invest in it. How best can someone find out more information about you and and the companies that you work with? Yeah, the best uh, thing for Uranium Energy Corp is is go to uraniumenergy.com. Uranium Royalty Corp is uraniumroyalty.com. If you want to learn more about nuclear energy and how it fits in the global uh, energy mix, uh, I would encourage you to go to the World Nuclear Association uh, website out of the UK and uh, the Nuclear Energy Institute is the nuclear energy industry group here in the United States. There'll be lots of information there and pay particular attention to these small modular advanced reactors. That's a really exciting uh, new development. So uh, again, it's been a pleasure to be uh, with your listeners today. Great. Thank you. We'll, We'll link to all those in the resources section of the show notes. And thank you, everyone else, for tuning in to today's episode. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. 
always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.